Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Yeah, you got you got to focus a little bit. I've been I've been focusing. I mean focusing. All right, welcome back to the Bleachers, Tuttle. What's going on, man? You look good. Hey, I got a social noster hat. I appreciate it. I'm healthy and sunny in California. You look good as well, Blummer. I think it's uh, your uh, your off season now, is it not? <laughs> yes, it is my off season. Uh, game sixty went by the wayside, and of course, you know that means that uh, it goes national media. And even though I did get some national pub with a tweet I sent out about Anoli Paredes the other day, so I was super fired up about that and sent my tongue-in-cheek Instagram post out there, you know, saying I made it to national media for baseball. Woo! So that was pretty exciting. But, uh, dude, we have actually you talked about it being warm in California. Played golf the other day. Shot an 88. Illegitimate 88. And... Uh, did you say illegitimate 88 or a legitimate that in there may have slipped that in there but according to my gin number it was an 80 number 88 uh (laughs) but the weather's been great dude the humidity has seemed to have gone by the wayside and we actually have had october i know it's always warm in october in california but out here it always seems to be turning into california weather like 85 degrees and gorgeous man oh nice so the houstonians are happy there are other reasons for Houstonians to be happy as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I realized that not being part of the, you know, the, the inner circle there in Houston, but I did see a few uh, news items that might make some uh, Houstonians smile. Yeah. Funny you bring that up because what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold uh, to Tuttle's point, certain firing of a Texans coach GM is big news. We'll talk a little bit about that. There's an inside story that literally just came out today. I don't know if Tuttle's heard about it, but being here in Houston, we get those updates a little bit quicker. And the Astros seem to be playing pretty well in the uh, postseason. I want to talk a little bit about Ronald Acuna Jr. and what he's doing and some of the backstory on a series that maybe you're not paying attention to. And I'm three and one of my fantasy football uh, run here I'm on. So suck on that. You're in first place based on points. I think it's, there's a lot of parity because I'm in yeah, seventh place. I'm in seventh place with a two and two record, but it's like three guys at three and one, four guys at two and two. I happen <laughs> to be the bottom of that in terms of points. And then there's a couple one and threes and zero oh and four, but uh, I feel really strong about my two and two. I pulled out a, a W with Aaron Rodgers this last weekend and uh, I'm feeling pretty good. So that three and one sounds great. Um, but you know, two and two ain't, ain't, ain't too shabby. No. And again, it's still early. I mean, we're not even to the halfway point. There's still bye weeks coming up because that's why <laughs> I have been hyperactive on the waiver wire. I'm like, I just got two pickups. It, did you? Cause I'm like, okay, does that guy actually play the position of running back? Can he fit into the running back part of my, of my roster? Because I'm coming up, I'm going to lose Kareem Hunt, you know, on, on a bye week. I'm going to lose uh, Jonathan Taylor on a bye, and I've got literally nobody backing them up. Everybody I pick up either gets hurt or all of a sudden becomes the fourth string uh, running back on the team. So that hasn't you been brought a lot up of fun Kareem Hunt. That ain't fair. I had Chubb and I just put him on the little slot there. He gone for a couple <laughs> weeks, but I can slide in Todd Gurley or Melvin Gordon the third. You know, I got a few guys that uh, that are a little more solid than a Jonathan Taylor or a, 
or maybe oh. Hunt. Hunt will be good this week. He's not on Cleveland's not on a bye this week. It's the following week, correct? Yeah, I'm coming up to some major decision making where I just might just wear a loss and just put out nobody and score as little like I was going to say I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow you closely. If you drop somebody, I'm going <laughs> to exactly. Them up. You know that's the that's exactly. The game. Oh, but a lot of fun in fantasy football. Of course, this Bleacher Blums podcast is brought to you by CB, World's Strongest Man CBD. And you can go to WSMCBD.com. And guess what? We've actually got great news for you because they have extended the 20% off your first purchase offer through October 15th. So make sure you go to WSMCBD.com and find out what they've got for you. Again, they, they take a lot of pride in making one of the purest CBDs out there and they go straight from the farm to the shelf. They've got their own 250 acre farm out there in Kentucky. They do a phenomenal job. And you know what? I've been using the lotion quite a bit because I told you I played golf the other day. I actually showered after I played golf. I know shocking to a lot of you. But I put on the lotion on my hands and my elbows because my joints have been killing me lately and it actually helps out pretty quickly and I enjoy it. So I recommend that all of you who are still highly athletic and that's the thing about World's Strongest Man CBD is that if you want to be an athlete or you're trying to be an athlete, you're working out, you're staying in shape and you need a little extra help. Go to World's Strongest Man CBD and figure it out because they've got great stuff for you. I know that Tuttle and I are users. That's right. We said it and we didn't inhale. But we're users of the CBD product and their tinctures, lotions, salves, and soft gels are amazing. But here we go. The big news of the week, the Texans finally fired Bill O'Brien from the GM and head coaching job. He was, uh, you know, fulfilling over the last four or five years. The Texans are 0-4, just lost to Minnesota at home, and he's gone much to the delight of a lot of, uh, of Houston fans, but also it was kind of funny to me. And I tweeted it out at the time that, uh, you know, the second he got fired, I think Carlos Correa hit the first of his two home runs in uh, Chavez Ravine out there. So I, instantly the firing of Bill O'Brien brought instant offense. That's funny. You know, <laughs> what's funny is I, I think what, as a non Houstonian looking from afar, you wrote um, or you just stated Instead of right, you know, saying Bill O'Brien was fired, you said Bill O'Brien was finally fired, and I think that mm -hmm. says a lot about probably the um, the temperature of what people felt about Bill O'Brien in Houston. And it's really funny to bring up his statistics because I looked a few of them up, and they were talking about, you know, he's won the uh, AFC. Is it the Central? I don't even know what they're in, but the AFC Central it was division. South or, or Central, yeah, yeah, South or something like that. But anyway, he's won that division title like four out of the last five years. <laughs> And it was like, well, Peyton Manning retired like and, nine and, eight. and then Andrew Luck was hurt and they backed in one year. They were eight and eight yeah. or nine and seven. And then Andrew Luck retired and they won the division. I mean, it was almost like three out of the four division wins that he propelled them to were, you know, kind of either backdoor or the fact that by default, right, that mm -hmm. the Colts didn't have Andrew Luck for an entire season or part of the season or he retired. But uh, yeah, it sounds Colts like Bill O'Brien Houston. Yeah, and it sounds like Bill O'Brien, uh, you know, was kind of had one foot out the door uh, for a long time. And, you know, this is a results business. We've talked about it before. It'd be interesting to talk about like Dusty Baker moving forward because I know A.J. Hinch was beloved and I've heard his name now come up for some managerial jobs. But, you know, Dusty is definitely not A.J. and they're in the playoffs and they're doing well. But Bill O'Brien, um, I, I saw a tweet from J.J. Watt 
the day after and it just was a sunny picture and it said what a beautiful day and he just showed the sunshine in the stadium but you know being in a locker room that that speaks volumes because you do not just put out a tweet like that so I think that will for me as a fan and kind of a, an observer from afar that encapsulates what um what bill was um <laughs> how how he was received in the clubhouse and how he was kind of um uh, how he was accepted or not accepted or, or, or what the temperature was in the clubhouse, because there's that, that there's intent behind that tweet. Would you not? Agree? Oh boy. Yeah. Th- okay. Now these are things we do not script out because if I could actually fire up the 100 emoji yeah. on yeah. top of this, I would yeah. do it right now because you nailed it with the tweet talking about JJ Watt because JJ Watt did put out that tweet and it, the same time, I think there were reports coming out. Now, Bill O'Brien in the past has had a fiery kind of demeanor about him. He is not one of those more subtle guys. He is a true football coach in the sense that he's going to air you out. He's going to cuss you out. And he is just going to be a hard-nosed, my way or the highway type guy. And I think that works well in college. We may have said this, actually, mm-hmm. that it works well in college to be able to be that way. You can be a little more controlling. You've got to adapt a little bit more in the NFL. But back to the J.J. Watt point. And the breaking news I was going to bring up is that a lot of NFL writers now are finding out through sources that there was a confrontation between J.J. Watt and Bill O'Brien last week at practice leading into this game about some of the decision making that he's doing as far as coaching, coaching is concerned. And here we are with the tweet. Now the report's coming out. And guess what? He's gone. And I have got, I don't know how you feel about it, but I have got no problem when you have a team leader, whether it be a LeBron James, or I I can't think of anybody in baseball that's actually tried to get a a manager fired. You probably helped me out with that. I mean, I know that, you know, the seventies Yankees probably had 18 guys going in there talking about Billy Martin, but Billy Martin getting out. (laughs) And it was usually a hall of famer probably too. It was like Reggie Jackson going there. Yeah, we got that's why Billy Martin got fired so many times. Yeah. So, you know, I have no problem with that because what you just said about being in the clubhouse is that you really have to, you, you don't have to have a perfect relationship, but you have to have a decent enough relationship that you respect the guy and want to play hard for him. And I know that these guys are playing hard, but they may not be playing hard for the head coach. But if you all of a sudden have that dissent or that, uh, you know, that lack of faith in leadership, all of a sudden the play is going to reflect that. And I have absolutely no problem with J.J. Watt. He is well-respected around the league. He's very well-respected within the community and inside his own community in that clubhouse. And I think essentially it wasn't, uh, I think it's Cal McNair as the owner. I don't think he pulled the trigger. I think it was J.J. Watt that made it happen. You know, you have a lot more insight about that than I do. And maybe baseball is a little step removed from that because football and basketball seem to have that happen a little more often. Two things you said. One is Bill O'Brien was successful in college and that college coaching mentality. We've seen it with other guys, whether it be Chip Kelly or um, I know um, uh, Saban made a shot at the Dolphins. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, sometimes it's my way or the highway. They're CEO. They're well, well, they're well respected and they're well respected in terms of the talent and the, the scouting ability as well. So they're getting these good players. But as you said, it's a different animal to be able to be respectful um, and demand a lot out of these guys that are, you know, more often than not, we do bring up the money, but their contracts, they're higher paid than you are. Um, and it's a delicate balance. You know, you look at someone like Sean McVay, who's young, and maybe he just feels like he's part of the guys or one of the guys, but he seems to command a lot of respect. And he came kind of grew up in the NFL. Same with John Gruden. Mm-hmm. These guys didn't start out being successful in college, 
they started out in the environment. I think that change is significant. The other thing that the other thing that's weird is, you know, you, that what goes on in the clubhouse stays in the clubhouse thing is really something that I didn't think about till you just brought up the fact that, you know, JJ Watts, a respected leader in the clubhouse, but man, there must've been something really big or really boiling over for him to just, you know, to decide, Oh, I'm going to put out a tweet yeah. saying what a wonderful day, because, you know, he could have just let it go and let bygones be bygones. Um, I do have a question for you on that. And I wrote it down, but basically, you know, in medical um, people talk about, treating the cause, not the symptom, right? We just want to take mm-hmm. pills and do all this stuff. But I think I read an article or I saw something that um, will help jump this to the next level. But yeah, Bill O'Brien's gone, but you know they traded away DeAndre Hopkins. They don't have a draft pick next year until the third round. Um, oh, David yeah. Johnson had been injured and dinged up. Like, I mean, it wasn't like he's leaving the cupboard bare, but certainly the decisions that he made and some challenges that uh, – uh, lie ahead don't really necessarily bode well for the Houston Texans and I was wondering what the what you thought the pulse around Houston was yeah yeah it's great to be rid of this guy who um, didn't seem to be on the same page with everybody and didn't seem to be commanding um, attention in the clubhouse but you know he already traded DeAndre Hopkins Dude, that, and that you, was don't, the you last don't have nail. a draft pick so so what's going to happen yeah, that, that, the DeAndre Hopkins thing was the thing for me when I was like, okay, I'm done with this guy. Because you're trying to give the guy the benefit of the doubt because he has such good talent, but it was a lot of clock mismanagement. It was bad moves as a GM. I don't know how he got control of the situation to become GM and coach, by the way. But he eventually had it. Trades away DeAndre Hopkins, who was you know, incredibly popular in the, in the Houston area. And he moved on. And then some of the moves he makes, some of the play calling with guys like Deshaun Watson. And even when DeAndre was here, you're going – why, why aren't we trying to focus or get this guy open a little bit more? And I'll be the first to tell you that I'm not a football, you know, guru or football, highly football educated. What I know is what I see and what I read or what I hear from pundits who talk about it. So in doing that and watching and watching a little bit emotionally because I'm here in Houston and I want to be a part of this, you know, the situation and understand it more. I just, the more I watched, the more I got frustrated and the more I would go out and talk to friends and family and fans and we'd all have the same conversation. And I think that's why as a total unit here in Houston, that's why we were like, later dude. Right. And you guys are happy to start over is what it sounds like, like whatever they can do. But it's going to be tough. Like you said, without the draft picks, man, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it'll be interesting to see if they can make some trades or, you know, sometimes, as you know, in the professional realm, it's the spirit, right? It's the mentality mm-hmm. that changes. And if, uh, and honestly, if JJ Watts able to step up and, you know, de- um, uh, 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 quarterback Deshaun, Deshaun Watson, Watson, geez. Yeah. If those mm-hmm. guys can take leadership of their groups on, you know, yeah. either side of the ball, you know, they know they're professionals, they've had success. They've won nine or 10 games, you know, the last few years, maybe that's enough to at least propel them into this, like a new mindset can help them, um, you know, right the ship somewhat. I mean, I don't think they're a Super Bowl team by any stretch, but maybe in the next few years with the right mentality and the right coach, they can, they can turn the ship around. But, uh, but yeah, that was something that I saw that's kind of like, all right, well, great. But we've heard that before where like, who would want this job now? And I think, you know, I think, it would, I think it would actually be an appealing job, but at the same time, you know, the reputation that Bill O'Brien had, I wonder how much that stunted maybe the free agent market. And if you do hire the right guy, maybe all of a sudden the free agents go, okay, that would be a great place to play because Deshaun Watson's got his contract. He's going to be in place. 
And maybe that brings in wide receivers. Maybe that brings in offensive line. Who knows to be able to protect this guy and make him that much better. But I agree that the culture is going to shift quite a bit. Okay. And that could be the sea change that they need. So speaking of culture, we talked about our playoff predictions last time. And uh, I said, the Reds might give the, uh, give, you know, give the Braves a run for their money, no chance. And then we talked about maybe wanting the White Sox who seem to be a better team uh, mm -hmm. throughout the year, you know, giving it to the A's, but uh, it actually looks out, looks like now that it's better that the Astros are playing the A's and I don't know what happened to pitching. So we did talk about our playoff predictions, but I'm curious to think uh, or to hear your thoughts about uh, about what's going on. I actually, this is so funny because I, I sound like an East Coaster trying to watch college football. <laughs> I did not stay up and watch a Dodger game last night. It was one nothing in the sixth inning. The Padres were up, so I have no idea how that game turned out. Um, so maybe Dodgers you can enlighten won. me and then tell me what you thought about the, uh, the Astros uh, series. Yeah, the uh, Dodgers actually ended up winning that game, and I didn't realize it either until I woke up this morning and checked my phone because I was a little bit curious about it. But there was, yeah, the viewing interest that late at, the, at night is tough. Uh, the Rays-Yankees games, I feel like, take Ooh. six hours to play. Yeah. But that's that's a fun matchup watching those guys hit bombs out of that place. But uh, the Astros are the Astros are the most surprising team. And I got a little bit of a bone to pick with them right now because I sat in an empty stadium for 30 games. I sat in a studio for another 30 games. And I called games for what I thought were just guys who mailed it in. I thought that the offense was terrible. The pitching was intriguing to me because some of the young guys, they were doing a good job. But I'm sitting there looking at Altuve and I'm going, damn, I can't figure this guy out. Then I'm, George Springer makes the adjustment mid-September and starts raking. Okay, so that's a good story. Carlos Correa, no power. I mean, four home runs, I think, in the regular season, five home runs maybe. And on, I'm sitting there going, man, I wish this guy was playing better. Uh, Michael Brantley hit 300. That's what he does. Uh, <laughs> other guys, you know, I'm sitting there going, damn. I'm watching these games. They're putting up 10 runs, putting up 16 hits, scoring five runs, having great defense and pitch. And I'm going, man, where the hell were these guys when I was trying to make them look good? Now yeah. they they flipped the switch and they're doing great. Springer has absolutely gone bonkers. Uh, I've, Todd Callis tweeted out a picture of the entrance to Dodger Stadium, and it's no longer called Dodger Stadium. It's now Springer Stadium because he has hit five postseason home runs in that ballpark. Uh, he is tearing the cover off the baseball. Uh, Carlos Correa is talking mad trash and backing it up with his swing. And what happened to the A's, man? I mean, that's one thing nobody's talking about right now is the fact that the Astros are playing extremely well. Somehow, some way, they found the switch and they've played well. And then nobody is talking. Why isn't anybody talking about the A's lack of pitching? Their bullpen hasn't been very good. And the offense is doing exactly what they did during the regular season, not hit, but hit bombs out of the ballpark. And to the Astros credit, they've done a very good job in limiting walks so that they're not giving up the two, three run home runs to get in a deficit. They've been giving up the solo home runs and those are easy to get back from. But I've, I'm actually a little more shocked that, I mean, I know the focus is going to be on the Astros, but I'm a little more shocked that a lot of people are not going, what the hell's going on with the A's? Well, the focus is on the Astros where you live, but I mean, you know, kind of from a general like overview, I remember when the A's played the Astros, the second series of the year, they had played once mm -hmm. and it was when the A's won either three out of four, or they swept them three out of three or three out of four. And each game was a huge, you know, I mean, it was like a one and a half game, but that's, each when, game that's they won, when the they West was won. Games. Yeah. Right. That's when they won the West. Was that the second series of the year? Yeah. I think it was this, in... It was in Oakland. 
Yeah, it was in Oakland. I think it was yep. a third series, but it was because okay. the previous series got wiped out for other reasons. Bingo. All right. So, but semantics aside, yeah. I, that series, they would put up statistics that were amazing. And I was like, man, they basically said the A's were hitting like 201 with runners in scoring position, <laughs> 195 with the bases open. And that was a time when Olsen was hitting like 170 with nine home runs or something. And you're yep. like, he either hits it all the way, you know, he was like uh, the guy from the the Rangers, you know, he was like all yeah, or nothing. A no, he, he's yeah. a three true outcome guy. Yes, Walk, right. Strikeout, home run, that's it. Yeah, that's right. So perfect way to put it. So three <laughs> true outcome guy. But they weren't doing anything differently than they're doing now. As a matter of fact, Manea was hurt at the time, or Manaya. Mm -hmm. And they they had, um, oh, and Chapman got hurt like two series after that or three series after that. Yeah, and I was thinking, they had him, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, all right, so, you know, Kana and Olsen and, you know, I, I'm not surprised. And I think your point isn't that you're wow. necessarily surprised. It's just that they haven't talked about it because they they, they are who we thought we they are. You know, they were whatever. <laughs> was, that like, Dennis, I mean, was that Dennis Green? Um, was Dennis it was Green. A we are who they thought who we thought they, they are were. who that's we right. thought they were. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That minute when he was coaching Minnesota or Arizona or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of his we are who sessions. They, we are who we thought. Yeah, they are who we thought they were. But but the point is, is that I think it was a little naive for us to say, oh, yeah, the, the A's won the West. And so they're the team to beat when, um, you know, you there's a lot of factors in there. But I think the difference is and here, here I'll, I'll, I'll tie a bow on it is the Astros have that experience and that depth and guys like Bregman. And like you yeah. said, Brantley hits 300 rolling out of bed and Tucker's been a nice addition and Correa's decided to step up and Altuve started. Those guys have that experience. The A's are the exact same team they were during the year. They don't have a lot of pitching. Their bullpen has an experience and they're all or nothing. They're like a three true outcome team. You know, yeah. Olsen's the epitome of that, but that's kind of how they are, especially without Chapman in the lineup, right? Mm -hmm. You have Lamb and Olsen and like, who's their guy? Like Simeon's a decent player. They have a lot of decent players, but I I'm, you know, now that we air it out and talk about it, I guess I thought the A's would give them a series. And I know the series I, I, is I over. Did too. Yeah, but the teams are kind of, you know, they are exactly, uh, um, I guess, indicative of who they've been. It's just that what we've seen from the Astros, the chemistry and the ability coming to the forefront, I think is what's made the difference, certainly in the first two games. No, I think you're exactly right. Uh, the talent, talent wise on paper, you could say the Astros are the better team just on paper. And now they're going out and proving it, which is something I'm complaining about because I was waiting 60 games for them to go out there and prove it. I'm glad they're doing it now, but selfishly for me and my yeah. broadcast team, I wanted to see it during the regular season a little more consistently. So it's been a lot of fun. Now I want to ask you about mentality because some of the stories that are popping up from national media sources and I, you know, I have had input on this and I get asked this when I go on a lot of radio shows and ask for my opinion. Now the Astros are the most hated team in baseball. I don't know how long that's going to linger for because they're paying the price for 2017, 18, the scandal uh, report came out in the beginning of 2020, but there are a lot of writers out there or, or baseball opinionators are saying that the Astros are doing this, you know, in vengeance of the fans. Can we stop giving the fans all the credit for everything, for their hate or for the vengeance? These guys are a good team. I think we pretty much just stated that, and I think they're stating it by the way they're playing right now. How about the fact that these guys are just showing up and playing good baseball, and that's what makes them the bad boys of baseball? 
that's what makes them hated even more because you already hate them. You thought they did it with the trash can. Now they're doing it without the trash can. They're not doing it with any of the other apparatuses that you thought might help them do well. They're actually a good team. That's what's pissing everybody off. But how do you spin this and say, oh, they're doing it in spite of the fans? Maybe they are, maybe they're not, but they're, they're a good team. They're playing baseball. I wrote down a word you just said, opinionators. I like that. So that's what this podcast is, right? We're just a bunch of baseball opinionators. So, um, Opiners. Opiners, opinionators, <laughs> something like that. But I like the opinionators comment. Um, you know what's funny? I, we could go back 30 or 40 podcasts and listen to what my opinion was, which is, you know, people have asked me this before. I, I, mean, I talked about playing in Team USA in Cuba um, in Havana when there's like 60,000 like crazy Cuban fans and you've done this in World Series environments and other things. And people are like, well, how do you stand on the mound and do your job? It's like, you just get used to blocking that stuff out. Yeah. So we said this about the Astros. I said, these guys are ultra, ultra competitive. That's how they became major league baseball players. You know, they're tip of the spear in terms of talent and mentality. And they've learned to block out the noise. And they learned to say, you know, we're just going to take it one game at a time, even when there's something underneath that skin saying whatever but they're ultra competitive. So they block all that noise out. Might they use something like, Hey, you can only be successful with a trash can as a chip on their shoulder to be ultra competitive to prove people wrong. Absolutely. But these guys are trying to be together and win a world championship in spite of the fans and in spite of the columnists, not because of them. And there's a big difference between that, right? There's a big difference. They know how to block stuff out. They know how to block the noise out. If they raise the uh, you know, World Series trophy, um, or if the Dodgers raid the World Series trophy, they might have a little snide or, you know, comment like, hey, we did it without trash cans or the Dodgers said this was rightfully ours two years ago. There may be an underlying dig there, but all of these guys are just trying to win the World Series because it's the pinnacle of what they do and the pinnacle of competition. It's not because people are saying they can or cannot do it. And by the way, and I'm just going to sound like I'm, I'm giving you fodder for like the reason that people did steroids steroids are not a good thing you and i both chose not to do them whether we could have or could not have but steroids don't make like they wouldn't turn jeff blum into barry bonds that's not what steroids do steroids make you better at what you know kind of a little a little easier to recover maybe a little faster bat at times and a little more um uh less concerned about being smoked by a 90 mile an hour fastball there are a couple of factors that work but you're still you know you're still caged with your ability and so I say the same thing with the Astros. Yeah, these guys are in the height of competition. They're trying to get every edge they can. The trash can thing, it's a known quantity. Yes, it gave them an edge in certain games and certain at-bats with certain scenarios, but it did not make them major league baseball players. And I know we can all agree on that. They didn't get to the big leagues because somebody was hitting a trash can. And I think that that's the thing that fans are forgetting. They're not doing it because of the fans. They're doing it in spite of the fans. And they are very talented, um, you know, tip of the spear athletes. And they're going to be successful. And if they come together and keep doing what they're doing, um, like I said, the sky's the limit. They're definitely the better team in this A's series. And I'm, it'll be interesting to see because I don't think the pitching depth is there and they don't have the experience. And that's where this could fall short, but it's been great to see. And unfortunately, like you said, for the 60 games, you didn't get to see as much of it as you wanted. Dude, that was absolute jet fuel. 
if you if that last three minutes, it, it, I mean, basically encompassed everything that every thought and every idea that the player is going through. And that's why you're on this podcast. That was very well done. That was actually impress. So I appreciate, yeah, but I appreciate you being able to articulate that. And and that's what a lot of fans, you know, and I think a lot of writers too, they get misguided by the narrative or they get misguided by sensationalism and make it bigger than it is. And Oh my gosh, they've got to be doing it because of this. But in reality, when you're on the field, they do exactly what Tuttle just said. They go out and play the game and they prove who's the better team by going out there and playing as hard as they possibly can. And they're doing it the right way this time around, or maybe, you know, whatever, but they are doing it. That was very, that was excellent. I, I applaud, I applaud that. So that was the best three minutes in Bleacher Blum's podcast history right there. Tip of the oh, cap to that? you. So I want to move on to another series and talk about the Atlanta Miami series. And this one's only interesting because Ronald Acuna Jr. is already a phenomenal athlete. But he uh, had a bat flip the other day and he put it on his Instagram and he basically said, I'm not going to apologize. So sorry, not sorry for the egregious bat flip. I love the way this guy plays the game. And he is <laughs> the Miami Atlanta uh, uh, feud is real. And it goes back about two or three years. And Acuna is right in the middle of it because I believe he just continues to hit leadoff home runs against them. And it was, I believe, Jose Urania, the pitcher for the Miami Marlins, that smoked him with 95 right in the middle of his back, maybe to the, his two of his starts. And there started the feud. So when Acuna hit a home run the next time against the Marlins, guess what? Bat flip, slow jog around the bases. So there's a lot of antagonism between them. And now they're playing in this playoff series. And Acuna is lighting them up. They hit him on purpose. Alcantara, I think, hit him on purpose again. But the funniest thing to me is, is he's been hit five times by the Marlins. He scored every single time. And after he's been hit, guess what the win differential or the run differential is? 24 to four. <laughs> so I've got an idea for Don Mattingly, the manager, and the pitching coach, Mel Stottlemyre. Leave the dude alone. Let the sleeping dog lie, man, because this guy is killing him. He has hit in his career, including the postseason, 322. His OPS is 1,096. And he is 18 home runs, 43 RBIs, and 177 at-bats. That's ownership. You either pitch around him or you find a way to get him out. Stop hitting the dude, man. Dude, I like it, Blummer. I mean, that is good statistics you're bringing to the table as well. I just think it's funny because, you know, you and I have been on opposite sides of, you know, the mound and the plate and trying to figure out how to get this guy out or what you're supposed to do or what the etiquette is and, you know, there's ownage on both sides. Sometimes guys own guys, but that's, he owns the whole team. He's overconfident. Oh man. Probably at this point. Um, but I just, I remember what they used to say. It's like, you really had to pick your spots. Like, Hey, if we get a chance to get this guy and we're up five runs in the eighth inning or something, maybe we'll, we'll throw on, you know, yeah, let's, let's, pick, let's, pick let's get spot. him back or let him know that we, we remember what he did when he pimped it. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, this is this is going to be a stereotype. It's not going to go over well, but you know the uh, the Latin American ball players. You know they uh, they're pretty fiery. And this Urania and Alcantara and Acuna, like th- it's going to get more uh, and more dramatic, not less. And it's oh, just wow. really funny that Urania is imagine? probably like, yeah, no, I'm just saying Urania is probably like, I'm going to hit that guy <laughs> for the rest of his life every time he comes up. Right? Like <laughs> there is no logic involved. Oh and no! Now they're God, looking no. at the statistics like. 
wait a second, he scored every <laughs> single time we've hit him. Like, hmm, this may not be the wise decision. So to your point, let's uh, let's tip our cap to uh, Acuna Jr. and uh, let him be because, as you said, in 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 a regular season that's 162 games and you play them 8, 12, 14, 16 times, something like that, you know, all right. But in a playoff series when you're trying to win three games and Atlanta is putting it on you and you right. were up – you were up four to two or five to two in that game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if hitting him started that, but man, they scored six or seven consecutive runs after that. And now you're in big trouble. I think this would be the time, like you said, this is one of those CEO decisions. This is like the code red thing from uh, Colonel Jessup. Yep. It's like, look, you guys have done this outside the scope of what's in here. Nobody, right? I'm giving you the order. Nobody is to touch Ronald Acuna Jr. <laughs> Nobody, right? You know, yep. they're doing the code red thing on the Marlins side, but he's basically now saying, look, nobody is to touch him. And I, I would agree with you wholeheartedly because they're going to lose this series if they keep it up. Yeah, but you're right. In a, dude, in the regular season, take care of whatever business you feel like. How do you do this in a playoff situation? Why would you, I mean, kick the kick the beehive nest and go, hey, they were, well, that was fun. And all of a sudden you're getting smoked. So I don't, the, that's another, I mean, God, thank you for being on this podcast because that's another layer. Why do you do this in the postseason? Why would you yeah. even want to get them fired up or give them a reason to maybe flip the switch and do their thing against you, man? I don't get it. Yeah. I mean, Hey, I mean, there's the part that we get along on is we're both ex ball players. And I think we understand that part of it, but I think hopefully there's some insight there for the fans that that's, that's the mentality of it. And that's back to, couple of podcasts ago talking about unwritten rules. I mean, we talked about unwritten rules. Mm-hmm. These are kind of the unwritten rules and the manager does have a say. So, I mean, we, I, my, my, I remember this so vividly, I have to share it with you, but, uh, and I'll, 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 they can remain nameless and we can bring up names next time if we want, but my manager in uh, my Puerto Rico was uh, the Cubs third base coach. He'd been around the big leagues a while scout coach. Um, Rusty Meacham had come down on our team. Do you remember Rusty Meacham? Mm-hmm. So um, I guess it doesn't matter if they remain nameless or not. Rusty Meacham, a good guy, had a good fork ball, good split finger. But um, Cliff Floyd had come down there because Floyd was uh, rehabbing. He had broken his wrist in the season, during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know I Floyd remember that. probably well, right? was like well, 97, right? 98 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was exactly 98, 1998. Yeah. No, 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 it was 98 because it was a winter of 98. Yeah. So between the 98, 99 season, Cliff Floyd, he had gone from the Marlins. I'm sorry, the Expos to the Marlins. Yep. Oh, yeah. So you knew him probably with the Expos. Yeah, I I knew him in the minor leagues. Yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. So Cliff Floyd, big human being, by the way, in case you're wondering, 6'5", switch hitter, and he could really hit. And basically, our manager says to Rusty, like, look, you're going to come in the game. There's, you know, this is what's happening. He goes, just don't throw him the fork ball because if you leave one up, I mean, his wrist, you got to just go hard in because his wrist, you know, he's trying to rehab or whatever. And sure enough, Rusty got him into like a one, two count and he threw him the fork ball and Cliff Floyd <laughs> ate it about 400 feet. <laughs> and that was a blow up, right? I mean, this was, it, it wasn't the code red, but the manager, you know, yeah, it's winter ball. Yes. There's some, um, maybe things to be working on as opposed to like, this is win at all costs, but, our manager was not happy and rightfully so. I mean, he basically said, don't do this. And the guy went out there and did it. So you don't see a lot of that Bill O'Brien fire in baseball a whole lot. And guys aren't usually screaming and yelling, but this would be a time when the manager kind of could take some ownership during the playoffs and say, look, this is how we're going to handle the situation and let's do it this way. And if you don't, 
then you do have to deal with the repercussions. And in this case, it might be losing a series. So, No, I'm with you on that. It's crazy that you do that in the postseason and risk the, the entire situation. But I guess that's a part of the growing process or the learning process. But you would assume, like Tuttle is saying, maybe upper management or a coaching staff with experience would say, hey, you know what, Let, let's do this another time. Let's worry about going out here and winning a ball game. But uh, what do you got? Nothing. I was just going to – I'm, I'm heading right to this. Shirt in honor of uh, – because 2020 has officially sucked a big pile of dung. And what caught, what topped it off is the death of Eddie Van Halen. And I know it was because of cancer and he had been battling for a while, but dude, really Eddie Van Halen, I guess we just pay tribute and, and talk about, you know, how much he impacted you and I in our high school days or how much he impacted our post-prom events or how much he fired us up before games when we went on the field with some of his music. But Eddie Van Halen was that one, that one guitarist that where you heard him and you stopped and you went, how in the hell did he make his guitar sound the way it did? So Eddie Van Halen is a huge loss for the music industry. And I actually love that uh, he's getting a lot of love uh, from around, uh, you know, Kirk Hammett had sent out a great tweet on Metallica's Twitter handle, uh, basically saying he was the Nikola Tesla of electric guitar. Didn't necessarily build the, build the guitar, but he figured out a way to make it perform extremely well. And there's several of their albums that, you know, you could literally listen from cover to end and not be bored with it or not be impressed by what they're doing. And I think the biggest tribute is the fact that they always argue about who are they better with, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar. And my comment is, how good is the band that they were still phenomenal with both singers? So that's just another credit to Eddie Van, Eddie Van Halen being the true uh, musician that he was and focusing on the music and having a blast doing it, but making a band that was good enough to go through two lead singers and still be able to be considered one of the greatest rock bands of all time. That's some great insight. I, I love that. I, I was thinking they said that he was rated the top 100. I mean, he was number one out of the 100 guitarists that they rated wow. in some sort of, um, is, there's some you know, dudes was, out there. Well, yeah. And, and they were saying, you know, anytime you come along and like Jimi Hendrix had been around and somebody mm -hmm. else has been around and is like, Hey, this guy's an artiste to say the least, but he, uh, I mean, all their albums are listen throughs as far as I'm concerned, there hasn't been one where like, yeah. eh, I don't really like that song. It's like, you can listen to them um, all the way through. Uh, you talked about the year. I mean, if nothing had turned my year to this point, right, we lost Kobe oh. and Tom Seaver and Bob Gibson and, you know, the list goes on, but Eddie Van Halen, you know, that's kind of like you said, like the nail in the coffin for 2020 in terms of who you're losing. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's kind of probably not a shock to friends and family because he'd been ill for a while and I know he'd been diagnosed mm -hmm. and then remission or something like that. But, you know, 68 is too young. And it just, again, it puts some sort of like time stamp on, on our life that, uh, you know, lets us know we're getting older, but uh, is a little bit depressing to, to, you know, to put a. <laughs> it is. No, it was. It, that one actually, I mean, it's weird. I, 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 there's not too many deaths out there as far as celebrities are concerned, where you actually feel like the, the emotion of it or the pain of it. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of, you know, nothing in recent memory. I think this is the one that really like when the alert popped on my phone, I kind of went, Eddie, what? It's six. And, and I kind of like thought through it again. I didn't get like emotional and cry, but I got emotional. Like, yeah. 
damn, that guy, I mean, you talk about being a soundtrack for guys our age, you know, I mean, that's what, that's what kind of got me. I agree. Not just a soundtrack. So the Kobe thing aside, right. Because that's a tragedy, right. It was a helicopter. He's young. I mean, he's younger than we are. I mean, that was like, boom, that I didn't cry, but you certainly losing a daughter and losing the family. That was heavier. Yeah. Yeah, the, The nature of what happened was much heavier but to your point, I mean, not only was it the music and the soundtrack, and we talk about fast times on here a lot, it just brings you back to high school. But tell me you didn't have a binder, one of those blue binders that you didn't write a VH on there and try and work on your art artwork because Van Halen's logo was yes. the bomb back then. And it was like, if you had a Van Halen t-shirt or a Van Halen logo on your little blue binder, you were, it was money. I mean, it was like the way it was the, it was kind of an identity like, yeah, Van Halen. Yeah, it was like you you knew rock and roll if you listened to Van Halen. You were like, okay, that dude's legit. You got the you know you got the yeah. cassette tape in the in the deck, and you're like, okay, that yeah. guy listens to rock and roll. He knows what it is. Well, and to me now, like the, the bands I like, I, I wore my Foo Fighters shirt today, but like there aren't coming up in the '80s like the the metal bands like the Motley Crue. Like I didn't you didn't want to wear like the leather pants and you have a concert <laughs> t-shirt. Spandex like I had a concert t-shirt, but yeah, everything with those bands had to do with like wearing a black t-shirt, right? Like, Oh, I wanted a black t-shirt. Oh, dude, like that, a good know. one. Yeah. That's a good yeah, point, but, dude. But with Van Halen and like the Foo Fighters and like even Chevelle, like bands you like, like, dude, they're just like, they're just like a t-shirt, right? Like, I'm just going to wear a white t-shirt and, and a flannel. You know, and my hair like, short, yeah. A flannel. yeah. Like, and it wasn't grunge. It was just funny. It was like, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know how, how to articulate it, but it was like, they were cool, but you didn't have to have this whole identity tied to you. You could listen you to a bunch to of music. You didn't have to have the image. Yes. You know, cause I feel like eighties rock was more imagery than it was substance. And that's where Van Halen kind of turned into the substance. And I thought it was kind of funny the way they tried to kind of dress it. They had their own look. It was terrible, <laughs> but, it, but it was their look, but it wasn't the, yeah. you know, the Aquanet hair and the, and the, yeah. you know, fishnet torn and the spandex, you know, it was more yeah. like, Hey, we, we come over here, you know, his brother's playing the drums, uh, you know, God, that dude on the bass would drink like a fifth of Jack Michael, Daniel, Anthony, Michael yeah. Anthony would drink a fifth of Jack Daniels when he was on stage. You know, I mean, that's what made him clear. Like, dude, how's that guy still doing that? But I mean, the drum solos, the guitar solos, the bass solos, the vocals, I mean, they brought everything to the table and they brought more of the substance when during a time when more were based on, hey, look at look at our photo shoot. Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. And and they were across time, you know, something like Led Zeppelin. Oh, man. Stones. I mean, great, don't get me wrong. Call. Like David Lee Roth had a video where he had his hair all poofed out. And I'm sure it was some video director that said, hey you guys got to do this, you know, you got to do this for your look, but man, mm-hmm. those guys are like t-shirt and jeans guys, Jack Daniels guys, and they could really bring the noise. And uh, yeah, it's just another, another timestamp on our life here. And it's, uh, you know, it's pretty, um, you know, pretty impactful and pretty shocking. And, uh, you know, makes you want to go listen to some more Van Halen music. Oh yeah. I guarantee you. Yeah. And maybe go uh, travel to that vintage t-shirt site and find the old Van Halen logo on it somewhere, some way, but yeah, real, a, a tough one to absorb. And that's one that's going to really linger too, because you still, like you just said, their music is generational and it's still going to pop on the radio and you're going to go, damn, Eddie Van Halen is gone. So a, a, a good one, another good one gone by uh, the way of uh, cancer, which is tragic too. But uh, we'd like to end this podcast to total, if you've got anything to finish this thing off with, that would be a great thing because you, you were, you were the, 
you were the pack mule of this Bleacher Blums podcast, man. You carried it. You always say that. I disagree wholeheartedly. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a joint effort. And, you, you, you know, if nothing else, now that you're uh, in the offseason, you're bringing the topics, which helps. And I try and stay topical. But uh, we got to do something to drive up the, uh, the listenership here. I hope everybody out there is enjoying the uh, podcast as much as we are. We're trying to stay more topical. We're not as uh, social media heavy as we were. But you can download us on uh, iTunes, of course, Spotify, everywhere else, the Bleacher Blums podcast. And then, of course, if you want to look at our pretty faces with all of our gear here, Social Noster Network is where you go. The Social Noster Network on YouTube. But, uh, yeah, I mean, let's give a shout out. You say I carry the podcast. Let's give a shout out to the uh, first responders and the uh, frontline uh, healthcare workers, as well as our military around the world. Nothing has changed in regards to their life. They're out there doing their job and they're doing what yeah. um, is necessary. And uh, we're really thankful for them. But uh, Blummer, man, always good to be with you. I've been enjoying the, uh, the uh, baseball on kind of in the middle of the mm -hmm. day, you know, one eye on the TV or one eye on the radio, uh, one ear on the radio, I should say, to uh, kind of find out what's going on. And boy, the Astros have, uh, have been looking really good. So I don't know if that bodes well for you. Uh, yeah. personally or just uh, for the oh. city of Houston but uh, it's always good don't. to stay a little bit more relevant the more they win the more phone calls I get even though I'm not working on a consistent basis so I always appreciate that and it gives us more fodder for uh, conversation the longer they're in it because the longer they're in it the more the fans hate them and the more that grows but uh, tell you broke it down great on why why players go out there and play whether they're hated or not hated because it's all about winning a championship and uh, that's what we're trying to do here is win the Bleacher Blums Championship. And today was a good one. We hope that everybody enjoyed it. Tuttle, thank you for pointing out that we are on iTunes and most, uh, you know, iHeartRadio. And we are on Spotify if you want to find us and download the audio podcast, Social Notion Network on YouTube. And don't forget that we've got a great title sponsor that we are grateful for to continue this podcast on. And they're giving you 20% off your, net, your first purchase at WSMCBD.com. Make sure you go out there and do that. But most of all, when everything is done, you better get after it and you better believe it.